At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Good morning, church. My name is Abraham Phillip, and it's a pleasure to be here this morning with you. <clears throat> we start a new series today because this is the first Sunday of Advent. And as we march to Christmas, we're going to look at a new series called Gift Wrapped. How many of you like gift wrapping? Okay, let me ask a different question. How many of you like presents? <laughs> let me ask the question slower. How many of you like presents? Okay, the rest of you, okay. <clears throat> Maybe when you wake up, you'll understand. <clears throat> Americans spend $2.6 billion. That's $2.6 billion in gift wrapping. That's a lot of money. That's 4.1 tons of paper products to package, wrap, and decorate gifts. We like gift wrapping. Why? Because I think when you get a, a wrapped gift that's really, really nice. I personally like a bow on top. I know some of you don't really care. But when you get that, that gift wrapped so beautifully, perhaps with a bow on top, it, it enhances the, the mystery and the suspense of what's inside. How many of you like to get one of those? Yeah, the rest of you, you can send it over to my house. I'll take it because I love <clears throat> ripping open, the, the suspense of ripping open that, that gift to find out what's inside. No way? I do. I love that. That's, that's awesome. And so we're going to look at a... Uh, thank you, young lady. I appreciate that. She's going to get her something nice, all right? <laughs> uh, we're going to start a new series called Gift Wrapped, From Longing to lavished. And I think you'll agree with me that the greatest gift that we have received is the gift that God gave us in Jesus Christ. Amen? But just like we give gifts that are gift-wrapped, God sent his son into the world wrapped. Wrapped in scripture. Wrapped and packaged in, in the pages of scripture and in history and in God's dealings with man. And so we're, our job as believers in Christ is to unwrap the gift. Is to Peel back the layers. Look at the mystery of God sending his son into the world. And we're going to look at that by looking at the covenants that God has made throughout the Old Testament. At the covenants that God has made with people. And as we march through these covenants, our prayer is that our, our understanding of the Old Testament deepens. And as that happens, we fall afresh in love and in worship with a God who is so faithful and so willing to condescend to love us in spite of ourselves. And so today, we start that series by looking at the covenant that God made with Noah. Noah had a new beginning. How many of you would like a new beginning for this year? Yeah, qualification, qualification, minus a virus. Yeah, okay? Just a new year with the same stuff doesn't help. This new year, minus a virus, I'm all for. I want a new beginning. I'd love a new beginning. Noah and his family had a new beginning. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 9. That's where we're going to park today, Genesis chapter 9. But before I get to the main message, I need to set the story, set the context. So we're going to take a little journey back in time. God created in Genesis chapter 1 the heavens and the earth. 
And he made the plants and the animals and he filled the earth and he made Adam and then he made Eve and he placed them in a garden, a garden that God planted. Can you imagine how beautiful that must have been? A God-planted garden. And he placed them in that garden and he said, you can eat from the fruit of any tree except one. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Wouldn't it be nice just to have one rule? Just one. But even with only one rule, they couldn't obey. They disobeyed. And as a result, God kicked them out of the garden, out of his presence, out of relationship. But just before he kicked them out, he promised in Genesis 3.15 that a seed of a woman would come who would crush the head of the serpent and the serpent would bruise his heel. With that promise, God sent them out. And with that world in front of them, they had children, and they started to multiply. But the children that they had started to sin, started to walk away from God, rebelled against God. <clears throat> and so the earth was populated, but they were, it was populated with people who rebelled against God. In fact, it got so bad that in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, God looked at the world and said, I'm sorry. That's a horrible thing. But I'm sorry I have made man because every inclination of the heart of man is evil continually. What a hopeless, horrible verdict. Every inclination of man's heart is evil always. And so as a result, God decides he's going to have a fresh start. He's going to destroy the world, destroy all living creatures, and he's going to start again. But in that process, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And instead of destroying everything, God looks at Noah and says, Noah, I'm going to destroy the world, but I'm going to save you and your family. So build an ark. Build an ark. Now, I don't know where you are with your study of the Bible, but if you study it right, you'll find that up to that point, it had not rained on the earth. Why? Because the world was surrounded by a water canopy. And so it would be, have been a hyperbaric chamber inside the earth. And so it had not rained. And the way God made the water to come is every morning the dew would come. Genesis chapter 2. You can go home and read it. The dew would come up every morning and water the earth. It had not rained. So you can imagine the amount of faith it took for Noah to build an ark because when God said, I'm going to make it rain, Noah would have looked up and said, God, what's rain? Hebrews chapter 11 said, by faith, Noah built an ark. Can you imagine the exercise of faith and the amount of faith it took to build an ark for something he had no idea? Never seen it before. So he built the ark, 1.5 football fields in length and, and half, a, half a football field tall with three stories. It was massive. And it would be for Noah and his family and for animals that God would bring to him. And so Noah put those animals in the ark and he and his family went into the ark and God shut the door. And one week later, the rains came. The Bible is very specific. It says the fountains of the great deep located deep within the earth burst open and the windows of heaven were burst open. And so water came from the sky, water came from underneath, and the floodwaters covered the earth, killing everything, rising so high that it covered all of the mountains. Every living creature on the face of the planet died. How many of you ever put Noah and the ark on your nursery rooms or around your cradle? Isn't it nice? I had a, we put our Christmas tree up the day after Thanksgiving, and I have one of those 
uh, Noah's Ark ornaments. And I was thinking to myself as we were putting it up, I'm not sure I should put this up. This is a judgment scene. Like people died. Like the earth was clean. Why do we put this around our nurseries? This is not a nice story. What are we thinking? And yet, that ark represents hope. Because all of the animals and all of the people in the ark were rescued from the judgment of God. 370 days after it started to rain, Noah and his family came out of the ark. Do you know what the first thing Noah does? He builds an altar. Notice chapter 8. Verse 20, we read that Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Moses is writing this story under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he records for us the internal dialogue going on in God's heart. And so God smells the offering, smells the aroma, and he's pleased with the sacrifice that Noah makes. 370 days in an ark full of animals that were dirty and your wife and your children and their wives. And you can imagine how stir-crazy it must have been. He comes out of the ark and he thanks God. (laughs) But the world is very different. And he builds this offering to God and the smell ascends and God smells that sacrifice and he's pleased. But this isn't a communication to Noah. This is in God's heart. It isn't until chapter 9 that God actually says something to Noah. In fact, in chapter 9 in verse 1, God says to Noah the same thing he told Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. In fact, he says that in verse 1 and in verse 7. Why? To be doubly sure that Noah gets the message, this is a certain promise. Go have babies. Fill the earth. And then in verse number three, God changes their diet. Prior to the flood, man was a vegetarian. They ate plants. After the flood, God adds meat to the diet. Amen? I mean, steak and burgers are on the menu. Praise God. And there was much rejoicing. I thank God for verse 3. Verses 4 through 6, God institutes some protection around the life of man. Prior to the flood, Cain killed Abel, and then all the descendants that came after Cain were killing one another and boasting about the fact that they killed one another. And so violence and murder and killing were a normal part of of the pre-flood life. And so after the flood, God institutes this, this rule that says... You're not to kill anybody. Why? Because you're created in the image of God. And because of that, God is the one that has right to our life. And only God. That's verses 4 through 6. By the way, that's all background. That's all free. That sets the stage for the message. You ready? Chapter 9, verse 8. We're going to look at the covenant that God made with Noah. There are three parts to the covenant. Every covenant we're going to study in this series, has a sacrifice. We looked at that in chapter 8, verse 20. Noah built the altar, sacrificed animals. Every covenant has a sacrifice. But the covenant actually starts in chapter 9 and verse 8. There are three aspects of every covenant that I want to cover this morning. And first is the covenant 
recipients, the covenant recipients. Now, this is not in the slides or in your notes, but if you want a principle to write down next to that, it is that God cares for all of his creation. God cares for all of his creation. Genesis chapter 9, verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. The first time the word covenant occurs, it's in Genesis chapter 6, but it's just a sentence that God says, I'll establish my covenant. But it's in chapter 9, verse 8, that God actually states the covenant and establishes it. The word covenant comes from a Hebrew word saying berit, which means to cut, to cut. And covenant, according to Paul Williamson in his book, Sealed with an Oath, said that a covenant is a solemn commitment guaranteeing promises or obligations undertaken by one or both parties sealed with an oath. When we think of covenant, the only covenant that we really have is the covenant of marriage, 21 some years ago, I stood before God and before witnesses with my wife, and I made a covenant with her, a lifelong covenant, to love her, to be in relationship with her. It's a covenant. You and I, we don't think in covenantal terms. We think in contract terms, don't we? We have contracts at work, at home. We, we think of contract. But contract and covenant are two different things. There's similarities, but, but they're different. A contract is legally binding. A covenant is legally binding too, but more importantly than that, it is spiritually binding. A, con- a, car- <clears throat> excuse me, a contract can be broken. Obviously, there are some consequences to breaking a covenant. But a covenant is supposed to be for life. When I made my covenant with my wife, I said, I am committed to you till death do us, what? Part. I'm lifelong committing to her and only her. A covenant is not to be broken. A contract is something where we have give and take. I'll give you that if you give me this. But a covenant is not that. It is the giving of oneself to another for their benefit. And that's what a covenant is. And God here makes a covenant where he puts himself under obligation to Noah and to human beings to care for them and to fulfill his part of this covenant. I want you to notice that this covenant is unilateral. We're not familiar with unilateral covenants. We're we're more familiar with bilateral, meaning it's a covenant or a contract between two people. Right? We think of a marriage covenant between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife, two people making an agreement together. We think of uh, contracts in business where two parties have a covenant or a contract with each other. Rarely do we see a unilateral covenant. But here, God makes a unilateral covenant, meaning it's made by one person. Noah didn't think up this contract. Noah didn't have any part in negotiating this contract. None of the terms of this covenant were discussed with Noah. God said, I'll establish my covenant. In fact, he says it three times in this passage. I will establish my covenant. It's all God. And God obligates himself to Noah and his descendants to make this covenant. Another thing to notice is that this covenant is universal. 
It's universal. It's for Noah and his children and for all of his offspring, which, by the way, includes all of us. We are the <coughs> offspring of Noah. It's been 4,500 years, but this covenant applies to you and to me. Not only for Noah, but according to this passage, it applies to every creature that came out of the ark. Every livestock, every beast of the earth, every bird, God says not only with human beings, but with every living creature on the earth, I'm establishing my covenant. You see, God cares for all of his creation. And that includes the animals. And so God makes this covenant. By the way, this covenant is sometimes called the covenant of common grace. You see, everybody enjoys the common grace of God. Animals do. People do. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, God sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. You see, everybody gets the rain, whether you're righteous or not. That's the common grace of God, where God, everybody experiences the goodness of God. That's the covenant recipient. It's everybody. Every living creature, animal, or human. Secondly, the covenant promise. The covenant promise. If you're taking notes, you can also write that God is a covenant maker. God is a covenant maker. Verse number 11. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Never again. Twice he says it in one verse. Never again. Will I do this again? I will not bring a flood to destroy the earth and to destroy all life on the earth. It won't happen. That's the promise. That's the covenantal promise. I won't do that again. That must have been a huge relief for Noah. I mean, can you imagine the trauma of coming off the ark? There's nobody else on the planet. There are no other families. There are no cousins. There are no other animals. Can you imagine how eerily quiet the earth was? No sounds. No speaking. Nothing. The earth would have looked completely different. And God looks at Noah and says, I won't do that again. What a relief it must have been for Noah to know that God wouldn't do that again and they wouldn't have to live through that kind of trauma again. I want you to notice that this covenant is unconditional. <clears throat> you know, you and I, we're used to conditional covenants or agreements, right? If you do that, I'll do this, right? When God made a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai, he said, if you obey my covenants, I will bless you. If you disobey my commandments, then there's gonna be judgment. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring curses upon you, right? I have conditional agreements in my house. For my son Jonathan, I tell him, if you want to play video games for an hour, you have to read for an hour, right? I, I have conditions around things. If you do this, I'll do this. You notice in this promise, there's none of that. There's no requirement placed upon you and me or Noah for us to do anything. It's unconditional. There's no stipulation. There's no requirement. It's all upon God to do all of it. Regardless of what you and I do or don't do, God said, I'm making this promise. I'm keeping it. It's unconditional. Not only is it unconditional, it's unceasing. Unceasing. In fact, if you go back a chapter to chapter 8, verse 22, 
God says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. To Noah and his descendants and to you and me, God is saying, I'm never going to do this with a flood again. And so as long as the earth remains, this covenant remains. We can expect continued rhythms of life, continued seasons to come and go, just as it has been for the last 4,500 years. God's promise is that his covenant he will keep and it will be unceasing. Amen? That's 4,500 years. That's a long time. And guess what? The covenant has not failed. Amen? Amen. Unceasing covenant. The third aspect of this covenant I want to show you is the covenant sign. The covenant sign. If you're taking notes, you can write, God is a covenant keeper next to that. Verse number 12 says, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And I will bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds. And when the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Every covenant has a sign. When I made my covenant with my wife, I have this symbol, this sign, a wedding ring that I use as a covenant, as a sign of the covenant that I made with my wife. Every covenant in scripture has a symbol or a sign. When God made a covenant with Abraham, he gave them the sign of circumcision. When God made his, uh, his uh, covenant with the children of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai, he gave them the symbol of, of the Sabbath. When Jesus made a covenant with us, he gave us the symbol or the sign of communion. Every covenant has a sign. The sign for this covenant that God makes with Noah is the rainbow. The rainbow that appears in the sky. Can you imagine Noah and his family every time rain clouds would come? Remember I told you earlier that it had never rained up to that point? That that water vapor, vapor was around the earth? But the flood, God took that water vapor out and now clouds and rain would be a normal part of life. Can you imagine what Noah's heart would be doing every time rain clouds came? I mean, he'd be beating out of his chest. It'd be a PTSD moment. God, are you, are you going to destroy it again? But every time the rain clouds and the rain come, God says in verse 14, I'll set my bow in the clouds and I'll remember my covenant. By the way, when, when the Bible says God will remember his covenant, does that, does that mean that God forgets? <clears throat> like God like forgets and has to be reminded of stuff? No, when, when the Bible says God remembers or I will remember it doesn't mean that he forgets. It's, it means that he's getting ready to act, specifically to rescue someone or something. In Genesis chapter 8 and verse 1, when Noah was in the ark, it says, and God remembered Noah. It's not like God's up in heaven going, oh yeah, I forgot, I got that somebody in the ark. No, God, God knew he was in the ark. 
And the rest of the passage says that God brought a wind and blew all of the water away so that Noah and his family could exit the ark. In Exodus, when God says, and he remembered the children of Israel who were in slavery in Egypt, it was so that God could raise up Moses and send him to Egypt to rescue his people. Every time it says God remembers, it's so that he can get ready to act on behalf of you and me. And so here, when God remembers, it's so that he can move on behalf of mankind. And he says, I will put my bow in the sky. This would have been the very first rainbow. By the way, one commentator said, up until verse 17, Noah would have had no idea what kind of bow we're talking about. And then in verse 17, God says, and this is the sign of the covenant. And a rainbow appeared. I'm going to take a look at a rainbow that occurred over my house just a couple of months ago after a rainstorm. There it is. Beautiful. It doesn't have all the colors you're used to, but that rainbow occurred. That, that's from my front windshield. That doesn't have all the colors. But here's another picture someone else took. Look at this picture. Isn't that beautiful? How many of you have been captivated by rainbows? Yeah, they're, they're breathtaking. They're beautiful. Now let me ask you a different question. How many of you have stopped to think, wow, that came from Genesis 9? And it's a symbol, praise God, of God not destroying the earth again with a flood. Beautiful, captivating. Now, leave that picture up for just a moment. Do you realize in Genesis chapter 9 that the word God uses is not rainbow? It's bow, as in bow and arrow, as in battle bow. You see, the curve of the rainbow is in the same shape of a bow that a warrior would use. And what God is saying to Noah and to us in extension is that after the flood, God has said, I am never going to do this again. And so even though rain clouds might come and rain will fall and storms will come, the rainbow appears. And what he's saying is that rainbow is now a sign of peace that says that God has hung up his battle bow in the sky and he's at peace with you and with me. He's hung his battle bow in the sky. As beautiful as that picture is, and as wonderful as it was for Noah and his family to have a new beginning, it didn't take long for sin to re-enter the world, did it? You see, with a new beginning, with a new earth, cleansed, purified, ready for human habitation, it didn't take long for sin to reassert itself. In fact, in just a couple of chapters from this is the Tower of Babel where God has to come down and scatter the people because they were in rebellion. But then you could ask the question, couldn't God have just sent another flood and destroyed them all and started over again? Couldn't God have done that? Well, no, he can't. Because what did he promise with that rainbow? I will never again flood the earth and destroy all life. He can't do that because he's a faithful covenant-keeping Now, God never promised that storms wouldn't come. Storms do come. But God promises a rainbow for you and for me. That might be a verse of scripture. That might be a snippet of a song. That might be somebody in your life group who comes along with a word of encouragement. But there's always a rainbow if you're willing to look for it. But the world, even with a new beginning, didn't last long in purity. Sin entered the world. And that's why 
by the way, you realize that before the flood, God said every inclination of the heart of man was evil. After the flood, I want to read for you the verse I read earlier, but I'm going to read it in its entirety. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Now here's the part I didn't read earlier. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Genesis chapter 6, God says, everybody's evil. Every intention of the heart. After the flood... Same thing, same verdict. Nothing has changed. What does that mean? That means we can try to change our environment. We can try to change all of nature. We can try to have all kinds of new beginnings. By the way, politicians and philosophers have tried to create new worlds and new races. But none of it works, does it? Because inherently in our heart, we are sinful. And that's why new beginnings are only found truly in Jesus Christ alone. And that's why 2,000 years ago, God sent Jesus into the world in Bethlehem. And God sent his son into this world, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, gift-wrapped for you and for me. And he sent him into the world not so you, he could be like you and me. No, he was perfect. He was spotless. And we, humanity, crucified him on a cross. And there, hanging on three nails, God the Father once again took his battle bow out of the sky and he filled his, his bow with the righteous anger of God against sin and he plunged those arrows into his son so that the wrath of God against sin could be satisfied. That is why Jesus could say on the cross, it is finished. <laughs> Friends, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, then all the new beginnings that you're going to try, no matter what the new resolution is going to be to do better, to do good, to be better, it's all going to fail because ultimately none of it works when we try to do it in our own strength. That's why Jesus came. That's why we celebrate Christmas because Christmas is a prelude to Easter where Jesus paid the penalty you and I could never pay to give you and me a new beginning, a new relationship, a new power to live in this world different than what we were before. No matter what we do, we can't do it on our own. That's why Jesus Christ came. If you're here today, and you've been trying to do this on your own, may I encourage you to come to know Jesus Christ by faith. The Bible says that the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, the moment you confess your sins and say, Lord Jesus, would you save me? The Bible says you will be saved. That's a guarantee. Please don't leave here this morning without coming to know Jesus Christ by faith. If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ, I am so thankful for every one of you. Know that when the storms come, God's rainbow is in the sky. You just got to look for it. That no matter what the rest of this year or even next year bring, the same God who was there 4,500 years ago is still the same God today. He'll be the same God for every one of your tomorrows. The one who holds your hand today says, I will never leave you. I will never, I'll never forsake you. That means every promise in this book is true. It has been true since it was written to this very day, and it will never fail. You know why? Because we sang a song, He is Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper. He never fails. And it's not because you and I are some good people. We're not. It's because He's a faithful God.
We enjoy the goodness of God in his promise-keeping ability that no matter what the world will throw at you, he is always by your side. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for your promise. Thank you that you never leave us. You never forsake us. That you are our living hope. You are our refuge and strength. You are our fortress that never fails. And so, Lord, no matter what life may throw at us, no matter the chaos that we may be going through, may we always hope in you. May we always hold on to you, knowing that you are a covenant-making, promise-keeping, rescuing kind of God. May we never forget. May we, may we never lose heart. And may you continue to work in our lives to bring about your image so that we might display to all around us the truth of who you are. May we image you well. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, may today be the day where they are brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, where you show them the depth of their sin and the depth of your love that sent Jesus to the cross. And may today be the day where they are saved. Would you bless us and send us forth with your blessing? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and let's worship God together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.